This week, you may have heard the news that microplastic pollution has been detected in human blood for the first time. Scientists found tiny particles in almost 80% of the people they tested. And these microplastics can travel around your body and they may stay in your organs. And the impact on health is not yet known, but researchers have seen how microplastics cause damage to human cells when they test it in laboratories. So that doesn't look really good and promising and more research is certainly needed. It is just one of the many examples of how pollution is affecting our health. You're likely aware of extreme cases like uh, nuclear pollution or people that are living near a waste dump, but it's much worse. Right now, while you listen to this podcast in a place that you would consider a safe place, you will likely breathe in polluted air that is actually bad for your health. So today we will talk about this uh, with Rachel Kupka. She is the executive director of the Global Alliance on Health and Pollution. Welcome, Rachel. Hi, wonderful to be here. And it's great to have you here. I'm really honored that you want to join us today. And my first question is, I'm, I'm starting with these, these kind of scary data. My first question is, is it really that bad? Is, is because the, the, the air in my city doesn't smell bad at all. And the food that I'm eating is, is actually really tasty and nice. So should I be concerned? I think we should uh, all be concerned uh, one way or another. So, um, you know, pollution isn't always visible. Um, and we also need to take some perspective in terms of where we live, of course. So uh, we do know that 90% of people globally are exposed to polluted air where um, PM 2.5, which is the particle matter that we're really concerned with, um, that is in, in concentrations that abo is above what WHO, the World Health Organization, is recommending. Um, so even small levels of exposure to pollutants can be concerning. And a lot of the pollution contamination that we see is things that we are not visible to the human eye. You know, if you send a photographer out to a contaminated site or, uh, you know, it's very hard to see lead pollution or um, as you're talking about microplastics, right? That's inside our blood. It's micro. It's very, very tiny. Uh, so we all should be concerned to some extent, um, but we also need to keep some perspective, which is we do know that the largest burden of disease from pollution is actually not in very high income countries, but uh, more centered in low and middle income countries. Yeah, so that is another example like practically any field that i've been working on on environmental issues is the 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 absurd inequality and injustice uh, of this planet that we in in the west uh, where we are rich and where we have uh, things more or less in order and we have good healthcare we are uh, we are creating the pollution that is changing the climate and that is uh, that is also affecting health in a much worse way in in the poorer countries so like many environmental issues um this is this is a huge um uh huge question of 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 fairness as well so that's a lot of that is in it so you you are leading the global alliance on health and pollution so could you tell us a bit more about what the organization is and how it was formed Sure, absolutely. So the Global Alliance on Health and Pollution got its start back in 2012 
we had um, I had been at that time with Pure Earth, which is a nonprofit organization based in the United States that's working internationally on contaminated sites issues. So the really toxic hotspots, you know, the ones where people are exposed to very high levels of pollution that are often very, very dangerous or fatal. Uh, and so I had started out there and Pure Earth came together with the European Commission, UN Environment Program, the ministries of environment of several countries, such as Indonesia, Senegal, and Mexico, uh, the World Health Organization, and others. And we sat down at a table and said, holy smokes, everybody, the issue of pollution is so much larger than we had thought. You know, So Pure Earth is bringing this up as a contaminated sites issue. And then when you put together all of the different types of pollution that are out there, air, soil, and water pollution, uh, and looked at the data behind it, it just emerged to be this humongous, underrecognized global public health problem. Um, and so we started to look at that burden of disease and looked at uh, different types of data that we had from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, uh, the data from World Health Organization, and it, we were just really floored by the numbers. It's uh, causing 9 million premature deaths a year. And so to take that down to kind of a, a tangible level, that's one in six people globally. Um, and that, then we looked into more, was really an undercount because um, it doesn't include so many pollution uh, toxicants that we know are really harmful to human health, such as uh, mercury or arsenic, pesticides, uh, even lead was an undercount. Uh, so, so basically, GAP started off uh, with our, our first five years, really, with uh, a bang. In 2014, we were very instrumental in getting target 3.9 in the Sustainable Development Goals, right? These are the new Millennium Development Goals um, that came into play in 2015. Uh, and at that point, uh, back in our early stages, pollution was not on the international agenda. It had not been in the Millennium Development Goals. And so we worked really hard to get um, that in there. Uh, and then we came out in 2017 with the Lancet, Pollution, uh, Lancet Commission on Pollution and Health, uh, which really came out with these, these big numbers, you know, pollution being three, you know, the death burden being three times as large as other major health issues, such as HIV, AIDS, and malaria, and TB combined. Uh, and so we, we really worked hard over the past few years to bring attention to this issue. And that's one of the main focuses of what we do now. Yeah, and I I do remember in, in when this came out now about uh, five five years ago that for me, it was really a wake up call. I, I, I've worked on environment for 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 many years uh, and I come from a medical family, but this this combination uh was uh was was new for me i, I didn't of course i knew pollution is bad for you but i had no idea of these numbers and and for me it was really like kind of wake up call and um so how, how do you see the impact of this of the lancet commission on on health and pollution to 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 place these issues on on the global agenda that's a great question because uh, before it, there really wasn't a lot of attention. So the publication of the Lancet Commission on Health and Pollution was a real game changer for us. 
uh, and for the issue globally. I think it was actually one of the most successful Lancet commissions in terms of media response um, and in that that media attention actually continues today. Um, back in 2017, there were more than 2 billion imprints for those who are excited about imprints on people. Um, but what we felt was more important was the response, uh, not only just public attention, but that uh, government started to pay attention. Um, it's been one of the very extensively quoted reports in featuring in the EU Zero Pollution Action Plan, uh, it was extensively cited in a variety of other reports, including um, the UN Environment Medium-Term Strategy, their newest strategy for the next three years, uh, and uh, identified pollution because of this report as one of these major crises for the planet alongside climate change and biodiversity loss. Um, so it's really been um, larger than just what GAP has been doing, but we're starting to see now the globe uh, and governments around the world pick it up and say, wow, this is something we should pay attention to, uh, which for us is, is, a, is a real coup. It's a long, long way to go, but it's, uh, it was a great way to get that conversation started. Yeah, and I, I see the impact that, that you have had, let's say 10 years ago, when I, when I was already for years active on environmental issues, the, the whole relationship between pollution and health was... Um, Although, although it was discussed, it was always much on a local scale and and uh, and not as a really global problem. And indeed, when when I'm talking now in 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 podcast or when I'm writing, I always talk about the three main issues: it's it's uh, climate and biodiversity loss and pollution, and that is a, a change from from if you would read, let's say, an article just just five years ago, it was it was. All about climate change and then there was a long gap and then there was a bit of loss of nature and biodiversity and and there it stopped and uh, so that that has really changed a lot so these these uh I, I remember how shocked i was when when the lancet commission's report came out five years ago could you could you for for the listeners mention a few of the of the numbers let's say the the the, the most shocking numbers that first come to mind when you think of this report yeah um, I, I wanted to add one more thing because you, you brought up a point before I get to the, the data, which is, you know, the environmental agenda started out with the pollution and brown agenda, right? With Rachel Carson and yeah. Silent Spring and all. 1962, all of, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it really did fall off. And so now that it, it starts to come back around, um, is really, really important. Yeah. Uh, high income countries have um, really largely dealt with a, a majority of their really severe pollution problems. And it's now we're seeing that low and middle income countries are um, really struggling with these issues. Uh, and so when we talk about the data, one of the shocking things um, is just how bad it is for low and middle income countries. Um, you know, 92% of the burden of disease. So these one in six deaths is 9 million premature deaths a year. More than 90% of it is happening in low and middle income countries. Um, and they're not just really poor countries. It's the, you know, the middle income countries. So when you look at, say, um, you know, the G20 countries, um, about six of those countries are topping the list of top 10 countries impacted by pollution. And many of them are, are these middle income countries. Right. So the ones that actually have uh, big urbanization trends, big industrialization trends. Um, so the the 
death figures are shocking. And then to know that that's actually an undercount to me is a little bit, a little bit scary. Uh, when you start digging into those numbers, um, and this is not from the Lancet report, but from a, a newer report called the Toxic Truth that was issued by UNICEF and Pure Earth in 2020, uh, the numbers start to look pretty scary around one particular chemical or pollutant, lead. Uh, and those, those numbers are um, one in three children globally is lead poisoned at uh, a level which um, the WHO is really concerned with. Uh, and so that's one third of all children globally being permanently damaged and impacted by lead pollution alone. And when you translate that to the burden of disease, that's coming in at about 900,000 premature deaths. Uh, and those ones, as an, as an undercount, that's just looking at the, basically the fallout of lead and gasoline. It's not even looking at other types of sources of lead pollution. Um, so those are, those are some things that, you know, start to say, you know, this is uh, the tip of the iceberg, to, to use a, an idiom, right? Um, the other interesting things are, what is this actually costing the world in terms of lost productivity and economic growth and healthcare costs? Uh, so the big takeaways from the Lancet Commission were that um, this, this burden of disease, one in six people you know, prematurely dying, is costing about 2% of GDP. Um, and in some countries, it can be even higher. Uh, in some in some places, the burden of disease is about 25%. Um, uh, you know, the pollution causing 25% of all deaths in a country. That's pretty severe. Uh, and when we think about what it's costing, uh, it's not only just this. You know, economic economic loss. It's be, uh, people are. Uh, unable to work because they are sick. They're unable to be productive. They're unable to care for their families. They're unable to perform well in school. And so these are, you know, again, this is an undercount because we're unable to fully account for all the costs, let alone uh, what costs there might be in terms of pollution's impact on biodiversity or the relationship between climate change. Uh, so, you know, so obviously the, the, the old age adage is prevention is cheaper than, you know, the cure. Uh, and here we're, we're just struggling to wrap our minds around how big these costs really are. Um, and then the, the other one kind of economic figure that came out uh, was really a very limited data set, but looking at what the costs of the healthcare system are. You know, if you've got people going to the hospital because uh, they're having asthma attacks or higher incidence of respiratory infections and other illnesses, that is a big strain on your healthcare system. Um, and so in one, uh, one, one of these studies that came out for the Lancet was it was costing about 7% of healthcare costs. So uh, this is something that leaders and decision makers and politicians should be paying attention and worried about. Yeah, and it, and there's of course a lot of these are shocking numbers, really, and and there's a there's a lot of connections between climate change, um, the causes for climate change, and the causes for for this health crisis. Because I assume that uh, most of these problems are related to burning of either fossil fuels or or burning let's say local fuels like like burning wood etc in poorer countries is 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 that is that right that assumption yeah there is a lot of overlap it's not a perfect fit um because the you know the, when you start looking into the details things are a little bit more complicated than well okay climate and pollution uh, climate change and pollution have 
all of the same sources. There certainly are. So the burning of fossil fuels is absolutely uh, contributing to both problems. Um, but uh, air pollution is, of course, not just um, carbon, right? So um, it has a lot of other aspects to it, right? So burning of uh, bio, even biodiesel and things like that, putting sulfur um, and all, all sorts of other chemicals into the air. Um, the the interesting thing, which is we've seen a change in the dialogue uh, in the past couple of years, is that you know there are really co-benefits to tackling both problems, right? So if you can reduce fossil fuel burning, you're going to also be able to have um, the benefit of cleaning the air and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Um... Of course, when I'm when I'm doing these kind of podcasts, there's the, the number of problems in the world is amazing. I mean, these numbers are so. If if we compare this, for instance, with COVID, um, you talk about nine million people dying a year. Is, is that, by the way, is that nine million? Is that only air pollution, or is that all estimated deaths from pollution? That's all of pollution. So air pollution right now is between uh, four and five million deaths per year, depending on uh, which, you know, which year stats we're talking about, but it is by far the largest portion of that 9 million. Um, so the um, Lancet Commission data for the 9 million deaths came from 2015 data. Uh, so we will be putting out an update to the Lancet Commission data um, later this May. Okay. Um, yeah, the air pollution is the biggest burden, followed by uh, chemicals, of which lead is the biggest. Yeah, okay. And then if you compare that to COVID, we are now globally at, what is it, 4 million deaths or something for, for COVID? So, so total, e right? total over a couple of years. Yeah, over, over a couple of years, and it is... Um, it is a temporary problem uh, because it's it's a pandemic. It it will go over. There might be some some strain left, which is which is uh, less deadly. But any pandemic uh, ends at a certain moment. Um, so all the attention that we get for COVID, um, imagine if all that attention would be used to tackle this problem, which is. Um, uh, a, a double-edged sword if you would tackle this because it would have so many other advantages. Uh, it it would also uh, uh, tackle uh, the, the problem of climate change. So um, taking action on uh, on a better environment uh, gives gives a lot of uh, a lot of benefits. So th the question is, of course, when when you hear all these numbers, what what can we do? Uh, what what uh, what would you suggest would be the main issues that uh, that governments should should focus on to 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 tackle pollution globally, and I guess globally is 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 also um, indicating already the problem because, like climate change, if you can only tackle this all together, it's not that one country can solve it for themselves. I suppose that's absolutely right. So I mean, this is really why the Global Alliance on Health and Pollution was formed um, to really jumpstart a global response to pollution. Um, there's a couple of kind of key takeaways here. One is, of course, the, the response uh, in terms of what governments are thinking will depend on that country and that country's circumstances. Um, globally, the response is going to depend on, you know, what pollutants are transboundary, right? We've seen that with the the uh, creation of the Minamata Convention for Mercury. Um, and uh, the 
the the kind of the, the takeaway also there is what is what is the data that we have so we know we have a really high burden of disease and we know it for a particular pollutants but we don't know it for many many others so again the response is going to be well how do you want to prioritize what we address and who cares and who's doing the funding um so what GAP is advocating for is really a response at multiple levels. So we represent uh, our membership, which are primarily low and middle income country governments, who, again, are sharing this really high disproportionate burden of disease. Uh, and we're really advocating on their behalf for global attention to this problem uh, and resources and solutions for them. The good news is that even though the particular problems that an individual country facing might be different country by country. None of the problems that we're seeing so far that are really responsible for this big burden of disease are brand new problems. It's not like this is rocket science or something that's brand new that the world has to come up with a new solution for. Like the, you know, the higher income countries, the U.S., Europe, have by and large really dealt with their major pollution problems and have made a tremendous amount of success. I mean, challenges still exist, of course, um, but there's a lot of things that, that can be done that the solutions already exist for that, you know, we just need to transfer the knowledge. We need to have political will in those countries who are facing that. And I, I believe, you know, the example of, of our membership shows that there is a huge demand from low and middle income countries to really tackle this. And they do have a lot of of knowledge and political will. They might not have the resources or the capacity or the ability to implement them. And that's uh, something that GAP is looking to help with. Um, the other yeah. thing that this, we're really pushing- I wonder, Sorry. and I'm asking here as a- mm -hmm. oh. Go ahead. Yeah, what, what, what I wanted to ask, and I'm, I'm speaking here as a, as a mm. former, former diplomat, how is this, um, internationally organized because I, I understand that you, there's there's bodies like uh, UNEP and the World Health Organization etc that, that that you work together with, but is there two things that come up to my mind? I mean, first of all, is there like um, an international treaty uh, against uh, against these issues, or is there are there negotiations going on for some kind of treaty? And and related to that, is there some kind of annual meeting of parties or an annual meeting where either from the NGO side or, or from governments or, or based on, on some kind of treaty where everybody uh, in the world that works on this comes together, the scientists and the government people and, the, and, and, and experts and NGOs and that, that everybody sits around the table and works on this. Does, does that exist? It doesn't yet, but it hopefully will. So um, the, the, there are several different multilateral environment agreements and treaties that deal with different aspects of pollution. There's also the strategic approach to international chemicals management, um, which looks at uh, chemicals, but is very voluntary. Uh, so in, in, we have a nice platform really for discussing these issues through those treaties and through the UN Environment Program, which of course meets every year and um, you know now is really focusing on looking at pollution. Um, but these these are very kind of high level things. Um, and the, the really exciting news that came out of the most recent UN Environment Assembly is that uh, member states of UN Environment Program have said that they would like to explore establishing a science 
policy panel for chemicals, waste, and pollution. And so this is like the equivalent of the IPCC for climate change, right? Uh, so there are there is a movement toward bringing together different government actors and academics and civil society to really sit down at the table and talk about what we can do. Uh, and this is one of the things that you know our organization exists primarily to do is to really talk about who needs what, how can they get it, how can we facilitate that. Um, you know, but putting there is there is no treaty that talks about pollution as a whole or pollution and health as a whole. Uh, there is a upcoming uh, discussions for a plastics treaty. Uh, the Minamata Convention was the most recent one on mercury. Um, but, uh, you know, from our perspective, what really needs to happen is the allocation of resources for countries who are the worst affected to be able to tackle their pollution problems to be able to implement solutions, to be able to enforce the existing legislation that they have, um, and for them to be able to prioritize how, how they tackle this problem. Yeah, 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 and that's and and for that it helps, of course, if you have anything like like uh, something either legal or semi-legal in international law that kind of brings people together, because there's normally a point where you where you uh, release things. So let's say for for water, although you have a few water treaties on transboundary water, there's there's not really uh, a treaty that says that we have to be careful with water. There's of course SDG six, but you have something like World Water Week, where once once a year, everybody in the world that does anything with water comes together in Stockholm to work on it. Or um, uh, or there's 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 a few other mechanisms like they just came together in in, in Dakar now, um, which is every three years. Um, and yeah, there's there's a lot of examples. I, I would love to brainstorm with you afterwards when we have a bit more time. But then we go into all kinds of details. I've I've been involved in many of these processes. I love that. And um, on uh, on what you mentioned on the plastic treaty, we have had already two uh, podcasts uh, with uh, Tom Gamage uh, from from the UK, who's on on the NGO side working on on this plastic treaty, and he was updating us on um, on what was happening there. Um, so the the, um, uh, the the programs that you do are they are they a result of of the Lancet uh, findings and and how can how can governments make these more effective? Absolutely. So one of the key recommendations from the Lancet Commission report uh, was to do a health and pollution action planning process. So basically, the idea that each country would look at its burden of disease from pollution and look at its pollution problems and the data that it has and sat down with a variety of other ministries. So not just the Ministry of Environment, but that you would also bring in Ministry of Health, Ministry of Finance, Transport, Industry, Mining, whoever in that country has some sort of purview, uh, even agriculture, uh, to, to sit down all around a table in a, in a workshop and say, what are our priorities as a government? How do we want to tackle this issue how does this issue relate to other existing initiatives that we have, our development plans, our biodiversity strategies, our climate change strategies? And so we're looking uh, through this process, which uh, in short the acronym is HPAP, so Health and Pollution Action Plan, as a way for the, the government to prioritize its pollution and health problems and identify these really key issues and, and ways to move forward and identify funding, identify other partners that want to be involved, and then to start implementing it. Yeah, wonderful. So we spoke about what governments can do, um, but I can imagine that people that listen uh, to to your words are 
getting worried, you know, the the air that I breathe may be uh, polluted. Well, it's, it 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 likely is in 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 the, for nine out of ten people that uh, the food that you are eating may contain plastic, etc. Um, so, what 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 could people do from from two points of view actually? What what can they do themselves to protect themselves against against these uh, these kind of things? Um, but also. If people say, "Well, we, you've convinced us, we should become much more active on this." What? How can people join the activism of of making a better world uh, from this perspective? This is great. I love this question because there are so many different things that people can do depending on how concerned or how interested they are. Uh, you know, the first thing I think is, you know, don't don't freak out unless you have reason to believe, you know, that like your kid has got a very high level of lead exposure or something, you know, we have to keep things in perspective, right? So pollution uh, and exposures to pollution really aren't very black and white. It's not, um, you know, it depends on a lot of different factors, you know, what pollutant you're exposed to, how long you're exposed to, uh, how toxic is this particular issue um, and you know how many times are how, how often are you being exposed right so uh, it's in, it's important to inform yourself of what we will call hazard versus risk right how um, how dangerous is something compared to really what how how um, what its impact on health might be. Um, so educating yourself about this I think is a really important way to move forward and, and being aware and spreading the word about this, right? Um, there are loads of citizen-faced uh, organizations. Uh, there's several in the U.S. that are keeping track of different products, that review different products, um, in, especially that are for sale on the market, and say, well, this one is clean or this one isn't. There's a lot of alternate chemicals that we can use. I know the U.S. EPA has a, a whole labeling system in place to say this chemical's you know, safer to use in your home than other things. Um, there's, so there's kind of that level as an individual that you can do. Um, and then you can, you can spread the word. You can start a conversation with your friends over the dinner table. Like our, our dream is that uh, pollution becomes, you know, that dinner table conversation where people are concerned about it, where they want to get active and, and do something about it, right? There's a lot of civil society or NGO organizations that are working internationally, that are working at the local level, um, that would be more than happy to have volunteers, um, support, right? So financial resources, donating is always a wonderful thing. But um, getting active and being vocal, I think, is also really, really important. And and spreading the word that this is something that we can actually solve. Like, we can really wrap our hands around this um, and help protect children, help protect uh, mothers, help protect fathers, help protect people everywhere. And also as this great co-benefits of having a positive impact on the environment and the ecosystem services that give us clean air and water and all the things that we and, and animals and biodiversity need to survive, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I, yeah, I so much agree. We, we need all to get active and, and talk about these things. And um, I, I always find with environment, it doesn't make particularly good dinner conversation. And I've, I've had... Uh, dinners where the issue of climate change came up and then everybody looked at me and then within minutes somebody stood up and was adamantly against the whole idea of climate change because it was some kind of left uh, conspiracy or whatever and uh, and then ruined the whole dinner. So it's a dinner conversation is not always working with, um, with environmental issues, but yes, 
we need we need to talk about this because it is an issue that, that needs to be discussed like like any issue in in making society better it starts by people raising their voice otherwise you don't reach the politicians either or the media so it's it's uh, yeah it's really important that that happens um i know that you you also wanted to announce a few things because that's 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 what i heard before we started that you want to announce a few things towards the end because we likely always also have um people that want to ask you questions so let's organize this that um whatever you wanted to announce in the end uh uh let's let's go there and then people can think of what questions uh they would like to ask you if there are any and uh so back to you sure great okay so one of the exciting things coming up is i kind of referenced it earlier we have an update to the lancet commission on pollution and health and that will be published uh the week of may 16th so we'll have a lot of new materials uh, a lot of interactive um, features on our website that's um www.gap.net uh, so we'll have a lot of stuff on that coming up we also have a really exciting launch of the global lead forum on april 7th which is world health day and that's going to be a platform where we're going to aim to bring together a wide range of actors individuals organizations uh, who are really typically siloed from each other so bringing together academia government not just um ministries of environment, but also ministries of health, you know, practitioners, professionals, people who've got technical expertise all around lead pollution. And so we're going to provide a kind of a virtual space for knowledge exchange so that anyone who wants to know what's happening on lead pollution globally and get their finger on the pulse of who's doing what, where can come and join us for that. It's really open to all. So we look forward to getting that out. So really stay tuned for, for more news. Please follow us on, on social media. Check out our website. Um, we're going to be putting out a lot of really good, really good stuff, really exciting topic. It's, you know, it's a, it's a new topic. It's really interesting. A lot of new data coming out um, and a lot of work, I think, will be coming up in the next few months. Wonderful. And Gap is not some kind of fashion brand, but it's a G-H... Uh, gahp.net right gahp.net uh, yeah. for those that that uh, want to look you up and uh, and you're also active on on twitter which is my favorite social media some people know although colin is getting rapidly further up i see evelyn uh, as a as a question hi evelyn hi um well you stole my, my other question I had that was about what, what can we do? How can we get active? But um, sort of a, a question that actually might get answered during that global lead forum that you just mentioned. Um, but I feel, I feel kind of stupid asking this, but what is, where do I use lead or why is lead pollution such a thing? What can I do? What I, what can I stop using or, um, that, yeah, that's, that's a question. Sorry. <laughs> that's a really great question, Evelyn. Thank you so much for asking that. Um, so we all probably know that lead has been phased out of gasoline, which is one of the, the biggest achievements um, that the globe has made on, on lead pollution in particular. Uh, there's also initiatives to phase out lead in paint. Uh, but there are a lot of other sources that we are not aware of. And of course, it might depend on where you're calling in from. So I don't know where you are in the world. Switzerland. Okay, very good. Uh, <clears throat> so 
the the potential exposures to lead in high income countries are often very different from low and middle income countries. And of course, it depends. Um, so in higher income countries, what we're primarily concerned with are children's exposures. Uh, so uh, either exposures in the womb or exposures in the first five years of life. Um, and it's it's where children are, are ingesting or inhaling lead that we're really, really concerned with. Those are where we're seeing the most severe and permanent impacts. Uh, and those are found typically in a variety of different uh, products. One, uh, traditionally, uh, especially in the US, would be lead and paint, so paint chips. So if you've got a home that's very old uh, and there's any chipping paint, that's something you're gonna wanna get checked out. There's a very simple lead check kit that you can buy at your um, local um, home goods, I'm gonna say Home Depot store, I don't know what what you have over there, um, to check whether you've got lead in, in paint. Um, the other traditional one that we're concerned with in high-income countries is lead in water pipes, right? So um, if you have slightly acidic water, it might cause your pipes to corrode and then have some exposures that way. So you can get your water tested. Um, other things that are not as well known are uh, potential heavy metal contamination in baby foods or in spices. So if you're traveling overseas and you see these beautiful, beautiful spice markets, uh, just beware of products that are very, very highly colored in those. Sometimes the spices are, are adulterated with lead. So best to buy your, your spices back at home um, in, in, um, in stores that you have at home. Uh, so those bulk spices can be contaminated. Uh, another interesting source is, um, that's, uh, quite worrisome is, uh, pottery. So if you've been to marketplaces where you have just beautiful artisanal pottery, you do want to make sure that you check that, uh, with, again, with one of these little lead checks, uh, to see if the glaze contains lead. Um, a lot of artisanal markets will have um, ceramics that have lead in the glaze, and that can leach into your food. Uh, so you want to make sure that if you've got those in the home and you're using those for any sort of daily basis or drinking out of um, you know, tea, anything acidic, um, that you want, would want to check those type of things. Um, so those are the, some of the major sources that we're seeing, uh, especially in low and middle income countries. So the ceramics, um, cookware, sometimes cookware has uh, lead and aluminum, uh, the aluminum pots, uh, contaminated spices. Um, you can always follow your consumer safety organizations to see if there's been any recalls and a variety of products. Um, other potential areas are with some religious powders and um, cosmetics. So again, a lot of your consumer reports will list products that have been found to have lead or other types of heavy metals. Uh, and that's something that you can just be aware of. One other source, uh, especially important for women uh, who are thinking about getting pregnant, there has been cases where there have been heavy metals in prenatal vitamins. And so that's also something that you want to make sure that any vitamins that you're purchasing, uh, if you're pregnant or expecting or wanting to be, that you look and make sure that that brand has been vetted for contamination. Wow. Thank you. Uh, wow. Yeah. I, I will go to the kitchen after this broadcast. And <laughs> we have a lot of this artisanal pottery that we collected from all over the world. <laughs> Um, Evelyn, did you have more questions? Um, well, that was that was the main one because, like, you—if I, if I wrote it down correctly—you said one 
in three children have lead poisoning? Yes. That's that's just that just blew my mind. So that was that was like my main uh, question, and I'll be following you and that global lead forum. That sounds interesting. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us, Evelyn. You had some really really good questions, and glad you're thinking about it, and happy to to continue and answer any other questions that uh, others might have during the time we have here left or afterwards. Thank you. I see Joshua coming up. Uh, I'll take him as the next caller. Hi, Joshua. Yeah, I just want to, I'm curious how you guys are going to dovetail with the Green New Deal and the infrastructure projects on Campbell Hill right now, and whether or not, you know, with your initiatives, you see that uh, there's a lot of uh, cohesiveness with those initiatives. Yeah, absolutely. So we are actually really pleased because we've been accepted as one of the key technical stakeholders for the EU Zero Pollution Action Plan stakeholder platform. Uh, and in there, we are encouraging them to link up with uh, and explore the international dimensions of pollution and how it impacts um, Europe in particular. Um, in in that regard, we are encouraging them to really look at uh, helping communities to address pollution at source, wherever those sources might be, right? So if you are looking at a uh, contaminated baby food problem, for example, you would want to go and find where those ingredients are being sourced, uh, because chances are not only if the contaminants are getting into the baby food, they're not only impacting baby food, they're impacting, you know, the people that are uh, other communities that are consuming those initial resources or um, agricultural products. Uh, so there's there's definitely a lot of inter uh, interaction and ability to have some overlap there. Um, and in are you talking specifically about the infrastructure bill in the U.S. or the EU Zero Pollution Action Plan? I don't know. I'm sorry, I'm U.S. based, uh, yeah. so I'm mostly focused on domestic policy in regards to its global impacts, which we haven't currently addressed or really haven't effectively addressed for the last 60 years. All right. Thanks for clarifying that, Joshua. So in the U.S., we are doing some interactions with some of uh, senior government officials in U.S. EPA and Department of State and others to start talking about this. Um, again, our the focus of our organization is international, so we're not focusing so much on mitigating domestic exposures in the U.S., but rather servicing the, the needs of our low- and middle-income country representatives. So again, the efforts with the U.S. government that we have are really around, let's make sure that as we address domestic sources of lead poisoning, for instance, that we also consider what the international sources of exposure are. are. <clears throat> and so as the U.S. infrastructure bill deals with lead in paint and lead in water pipes, uh, and as those sources of exposure become less important in terms of overall children's health exposures, we would expect to see those international sources start to rise to the forefront uh, and actors in the U.S. being uh, a bit more concerned about those international sources. <clears throat> Wonderful. Um, are there any other questions from anybody? Because this is your last chance to raise your hand and say something by the way i believe that lead uh is also wasn't that one of the causes of the fall of the roman empire 
that they were using these lead pipes? Yes, it is one of the oldest known toxins to humankind. Yeah. Uh, it's been around forever. It's been used in so many different ways. It continues to be an important part of our economy. It's extremely valuable. Um, as we look to a future uh, of electric vehicles to, to help reduce our carbon footprint, every electric vehicle continues to have a lead-acid battery in it. They are not going anywhere. Uh, it's just a, a very, very important commodity. Uh, but the really the good news is that uh, it can be managed in a very circular way to prevent pollution. There are really, really good examples of how to uh, recycle lead properly from a lead acid battery. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I didn't mention earlier, but that is one of uh, the sources of exposures in low and middle income countries. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really, really useful product. And uh, people have found very ingenious ways to use it to make their lives better. And we just want them to ensure that they use it and recycle it in really safe ways. Wonderful. I think with that, uh, with that note, we, we are now at about 45 minutes, which is normally um, the time that I aim for with uh, podcast. I'm, I'm happy so many people joined and asked questions and we will, of course, uh, publish this. Um, I would like to thank uh, you, first of all, Rachel. I'd like to thank the people that uh, we're actively listening now. I'd like to thank the people that are going to listen uh, later. And uh, for your agendas, tomorrow at 3 o'clock, uh, we'll be back here with the regular podcast that we have every Thursday at 3 o'clock Eastern time uh, with Alistair Doyle. Uh, I'm not sure yet what will be the subject. Uh, we normally look back at the, the all the environment news of uh, of the last week. Um, and last week was a bit of bit different when we look specifically at uh, sea level rise and um, and the impact of uh, of the melting uh, ice sheets. Uh, there was a one off because it was requested by one of you. Uh, this week we'll just look back at the news. Uh, thanks uh, very much, and um, I um, I hope to see or hear you all back uh, tomorrow, three o'clock Eastern time. Thanks so much. Bye bye.